This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. Monster! Aquaman, Wanna Beast, Shazam, Plastic Man, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Firestorm, Batgirl, Blue Beetle, Black Orchid. Booster Gold. Mission accomplished. Looks like Gotham City isn't just a one Cape Crusader kind of town anymore. Team up with Batman, the brain of the bold. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 175 of the DCAU Review. I am your host, Cal, and with me, our other host, my good friend, good brother, and the gentleman that runs our Twitter account. That's right. It's Liam. Liam, episode 175. It's one of those kind of semi-big milestone thingies, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, not quite as flashy as a as 100 or as a, as a, you know romantic as a even a 150. But hey, it's still a, an important milestone, and uh, we have done 175 of these plus all of our bonus episodes. And uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. And for the occasion, uh, as, as folks will know, if they listened last week and have uh, been following us on Twitter or Instagram at DCAU Review, uh, you will know that we are in the middle of a special Elseworlds month, uh, this time looking at different uh, alternate animated takes on classic DC villains uh, that we have seen in the main DCAU. And uh, this week, not only do we have a whole host of, uh, of classic DC, and uh, in this case, Batman villains to talk about. But this also happens to be a pretty legendary episode. And in the, uh, in the episode order of the Batman and Brave and the Bold cartoon, uh, this sort of stands, uh, it sort of stands alone as far as a, a subject matter, a tone, uh, and uh, and we'll get into why in just a few minutes here. But yeah, excited to pick a, a pretty fun and exciting episode to talk about for this uh, semi-milestone occasion. Absolutely. It is a great one and one uh, you've actually referenced several times on various different episodes that we've covered here. Uh, we've covered, as you mentioned, a few different Batman Brave and the Bold cartoons back in the archives you can check those out on your favorite podcast app or at dcaureview.com if you will uh, we've covered a lot of them and we've made a point at mentioning Liam that this series tended to be pretty lighthearted uh, for the most part uh, there's a lot of uh, fun to be had James Tucker of course who uh, worked not only on Superman the Animated Series and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited and maybe Batman Beyond too. I think at some point mm -hmm. uh, did Absolutely. his uh, you know this was his as he put it love letter to the Silver Age Batman so the Batman very much sharing similarities to the the Batman that uh, likely our parents or if you're in in our age range group uh, your your parents may have grown up being the Adam West Batman the campy fun uh, sort of blissfully unaware of how goofy and zany his world is Batman that takes things a little bit too serious. But uh, this episode, as you mentioned, it does a great job of uh, sort of uh, taking a break from that and uh, take 
making uh, while there's still some fun to be had and, and maybe a joke or two along the way takes a very different tone uh, than perhaps we are used to uh, when it comes to Batman Brave and the Bold cartoons. But um, I, I think it's, uh, it's again, it's it's a lot of fun and I'm excited to cover it. Uh, I, I know you had talked about it before, but, uh, you know, I don't think I was quite prepared for just how how much uh, enjoyment that I would get out of this one. So excited to review that with you today. Before we get into our review, though, we are going to jump into our official Internet Movie Database synopsis for this week's episode, which originally aired, Liam, get this, on April the 9th, 2010, meaning that we just passed the 11-year anniversary of this episode debuting on the Cartoon Network. Absolutely, and this synopsis is for the episode Chill of the Night, which was written by Paul Dini, never heard of him, (laughs) directed by Michael Chang, and with music by the Dynamic Music Partners, and that synopsis reads as such. Batman and Zatanna make short work of Abracadabra. Later, Batman must choose between justice and vengeance when he confronts Joe Chill, the man who murdered his parents. Pretty good. That's a, that's a, that's a solid, that's like a, that's a two thumbs up for me. I think that's an A. Yeah. I think that's an A grade for that synopsis. Cause not only did they cover the full episode, but they give you the mini synopsis of, uh, as we've mentioned uh, here, all of these episodes sort of have this initial little sequence where Batman encounters, it's a sort of self-encapsulated little mini short almost that kicks each episode off. And this one is a little fun one as the synopsis so accurately said as Batman teams up, uh, teams up, up with one Zatanna uh, to take down Abracadabra, who is wreaking havoc at a magic show and uh, attempting to steal some some money, I believe, or something from a, from a some sort of gathering. Ends up turning the crowd into uh, puppets, and there's sort of this magic battle between him and Zatanna that happens. Uh, there's a funny gag where he uh, puts uses a, a spell. He makes makes fun of the fact that he can cast all of his spells using just the word abracadabra and he she has to meanwhile say everything backwards in order to to get her magic to work and show's over cadabra batman your clumsy antics are no match for my sorcery don't worry i brought an assistant surrender abra don't make me say it backwards ah yes zatama your famous backwards spells. Too bad you can't put everything into one magic word, like Abracadabra! Not bad for an amateur. Abracadabra! As she's attempting to cast a spell, uh, he casts his own spell that puts a handkerchief or a mask Uh, around her a bandana around her mouth and as she removes it uh, she comes to find out that there's additionally uh, just like a true magician tied to that handkerchief is another series of seemingly endless handkerchiefs just pulling out of 
uh, her mouth, which I thought was, which was hilarious uh, and a funny gag. Uh, <laughs> but uh, quickly thereafter, she manages to uh, to break his wand. And uh, Batman, I think, has has a great remark as he mentions that uh, it took him years studying studying uh, studying crime and or, or st- studying and training to defeat crime. And then uh, Zatanna is able to take down uh, with just a few saying a few words backwards which I thought was great, but it's a, it's a cute little, uh, cute little two minute or so intro that uh, really, as far as tonally is concerned, is completely opposite from what we have for the rest of the episode. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, that I think sets this show apart from, uh, from many others that we've, uh, we've covered is that, yeah, even no, no matter what the subject matter in this case as we've said, as we've already talked about, it's it's one of the darker episodes, really, of almost any Batman uh, story that we've reviewed to date. And yet uh, it still takes the time at the top of the episode to have this very short, self-contained little uh, vignette of, of Batman and Zatanna teaming up. And it's a lot of fun. And it's a, and it's, uh, it's a great thing. And, and that actually kind of gets to something that I was thinking about when I've watched this episode. I have seen this quite a few times before. Um, I And... And it always, it struck me more this time, perhaps than any time as, as we get into our, our plot uh, thoughts here, um, that this really shows what I think is wonderful about Batman, which is the same character that's teaming up with Zatanna and Aquaman and, and fighting gorillas and, and aliens and all, doing all this crazy stuff you can then within the same single episode of television turn that switch and he's the angry guy teetering on the edge of justice and vengeance you know shaking down mob bosses for information on his parents killer and it doesn't feel like there's anything like that there's a a stretch to that it doesn't feel like it doesn't fit uh, even though this series itself is very much a lighter take on Batman and is much more, as you said, Cal, a, an homage to a, a, a lighter time in the comics, uh, comics industry, um, it, is, it is really something to see how you can go from that fun opening, colorful, su- super silly and fun uh, opening vignette right into where we pick up the, the main episode after the title sequence, uh, which is a, a a dying mobster in his hospital bed is speaking to a, a reverend who is seemingly giving him his last rites. And uh, as he sort of begins to confess and mentions that not only had he been running the, the Gotham rackets for years, that he mentions that his his true thing, the thing perhaps he feels more, more guilty than anything about is that he put out this hit on the Wayne family and that uh, as a result, he knows that that Bruce Wayne had to grow up without, not just without his father, but also his mother. And... Okay, I got one more big one. A while back, I took a hit out on Thomas Wayne. Remember him? Big time doctor, rich guy. Did a stint in Blackgate because of him. Who did you hire to do it? It went all wrong, though. The guy got antsy or something. Wound up off on Wayne's wife, too. Who was it? I mean, yeah, Wayne had it coming, but I'm no monster. (sighs) 
left their kid without a mom. Felt kind of bad about that. What was the man's name? What do you care? You're not the only one in need of forgiveness. Yeah, okay. Some guy named... Uh, the reverend sort of continually uh, presses him for the name of the killer uh the the mobster this this lou moxon dies uh just uttering the word chill and uh we sort of quickly are are made to realize that this is in fact uh this is in fact batman in disguise and uh we also and and that also sort of leads into this interesting intro that we get or it might actually happen before that scene but uh where we see uh, very much straight out of a uh, the the Bob King penciled uh, classic Batman origin, where he's lifting the weights, and we see him with the the lab coat and the and the chemicals and the test tube, and 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 you know as the child vowing you know swearing on the souls of his parents that he will that he will bring criminals to justice, and and it, it leads to sort of what is the the major framing device of this episode, which is. Evelyn the Angel on the shoulders being represented by the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre. Yeah, it's uh, it, we continue throughout here as we see that, yeah, this whole episode is set up because it, there's sort of a wager being made between these two characters. And uh, we'll get into as we as we get into our voice actors later on. But there's so many voices that if you've watched any DC show, you're going to recognize uh, quite a few of the actors uh, and actresses in this episode. Uh, and, and not just from watching Batman Brave and the Bold either. I'm, I'm talking about DCAU voices that are quite recognizable. So uh, we see we see the Spectre and, and the Phantom Stranger making this bet. And as you mentioned, it's sort of a an angel versus devil or, or God versus God versus Satan, or, you know, however, whatever deity versus evil, you know, holy deity versus evil deity uh, comparison that you want to make. But it's sort of this bet being made as phantom stranger sees Batman as this compassionate, loving, uh, giving hero. While the fan, while uh, the specter sees them know as this agent of justice and vengeance, and he's going to deliver uh, exactly what is owed, and they both sort of have this uh, this notion that Batman is coming up up to his you know his most important hour of his life, and uh, you know he's about to experience something that is going to cause him to sort of make this choice between being this age. Uh, agent for good and side with a phantom stranger's side or this agent of vengeance and and be a callous hardened heart that is bringing justice without any sort of mercy uh via the 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 specter's view so we we see this wager placed here between the two of these uh two characters and justice what is justice without vengeance, Phantom Stranger? Simply a slap on the wrist and an invitation for evil to continue unabated. What would you have, Spectre? Batman to become like you? Dispensing punishment without mercy? Growing just as dark as the villains he fights? You know the reason for this meeting. 
Batman's darkest hour is at hand. Soon he will confront the man who took his parents from him. Then the final stroke will be delivered for vengeance. For the sake of his soul, I hope you're wrong. Batman must uphold justice. I put it to a wager. Interesting. And the prize? If Batman falls, he is forever in my control. An agent that hunts and destroys his prey without conscience or mercy. And if I win? Batman is free to go his own way. Uh, I gotta say, just off the bat, uh, from just these two characters, this would make a heck of a cartoon. These characters sort of having this dynamic between the two of them, Mm -hmm. this relationship, this sort of opposite ends of the spectrum uh, type of view on on what it means to be a hero or what justice looks like or what, uh, you know, what what being a a true uh, agent of of good looks like. Um, and because really the specter, even though he's played up sort of as the, as the devil or the evil side of here, he is still talking about Batman bringing justice to this killer It's just with this sort of like lack of mercy or caring or, you know, any taking justice into his own hands, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the right noble thing of turning him over to the authorities or, you know, allowing him, showing him some mercy in this, this case, but they both sort of allude to this this, this uh, experience that Batman is about to have. And that's sort of uh, what we lead to here as, as Phantom Stranger uh, ultimately sort of makes the first move here and giving Batman uh, the opportunity as he's doing this research to figure out uh, who Chill could be. And he gives, uh, he gives Batman the opportunity to actually, uh, a, a very special moment for him as he gets to interact uh, with his father uh, in a, in a, in a scenario where he's told that nothing he does will change the outcome of his parents' lives. But uh, Batman himself gets to interact directly at this charity ball. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about it in visuals, but some more fun being had here uh, with the visuals as well as uh, he's introduced as he has a, uh, uh, as not matches Malone, but Matthew Malone, I believe he introduces himself <laughs> as, as uh, in this full Batman costume, giving him a reason to be in costume uh, alongside his dad and his mom at this, uh, this charity ball. I haven't seen them since. I know that night. Know that as a visitor to this temporal plane, there is nothing you can do that will alter their unfortunate fates. I remember that costume of his. It must have been in the back of my mind when I designed this one. It seems your creativity has not gone unnoticed. And here I thought I was going to be one of a kind. I guess great minds think alike, Mr. Uh, Malone. Matt, Matthew Malone. Thomas Wayne, this is my wife, Martha. Oh, my, you're friendly, aren't you? Yeah, so uh, I, I should mention here that uh, this a lot of this uh, episode is taken from really two comics. One is uh, Batman number 47, which was uh, written by Bill Finger and drawn by Bob Kane um, and also sort of followed up on and expanded in a, in a book called Untold Legend of Batman by uh, Len Wein and John Byrne. Um, 
and it's it's sort of it uh some of the scenes are, are sort of taken right out of it but both of them involve you know bruce confronting his killer uh, as his his uh his parents killer and and sort of dealing with the the choice of whether or not to take sort of take uh vengeance or or to uh, to turn him over to the authorities and it also uh the the untold legend of batman version also features quite a bit of focus on the uh on the the this bat costume that uh, that bruce's father had worn once before as a at a halloween gathering and and we see that here as this costume party is uh batman is able to sort of fit in in this costume and as, as you said he has this really uh, touching interaction with with both his father and then uh, you know he, his he sort of begins to be introduced to, to Martha Wayne uh, you know his mom and he just doesn't say anything and he just holds her and he just hugs her and it's it's just so it's so beautiful and heartbreaking and uh, and, and it leads to sort of the reason that they're there which is uh, this turns out to be the night that sort of set off the domino effect that would result in the Wayne's death in that uh, Lou Moxon and some of his other cronies uh, attempt to rob this charity ball and uh, Batman and his father Thomas sort of uh, fight side by side to fight off the thugs and uh, as as one of the thugs takes uh, takes Martha hostage uh, Batman is uh, is looks looks at him and, and realizes that the eyes are the same as the eyes he saw in the alley the night his parents were killed and uh, so he has that taste of it as as uh, Batman and his father are able to sort of team up to defeat the thugs and, and Moxon ends up uh, being arrested. And that's, that's sort of where the, the scene ends as Batman sort of runs out of the room and out of the, out of this memory, out of this, this, uh, this memory that he was having or that he was given by the phantom stranger. And he now sort of has some idea, but he's, he's still not quite sure where to, uh, where to go. But before really anything else can happen, the specter steps in and transfers him to another point in history where, uh, where he, uh, witnesses Joe chill go to Moxon in prison and Moxon sort of threatening his life and telling him that he's, you know, it's his, his fault that the, the job went bad and that chill's going to be in trouble when Moxon gets out. So chill promises that he's going to make it right. And that he's going to, to not only make Thomas Wayne pay, but to make his whole family pay. And uh, that sort of lead, and, and Moxon very casually tells him to, to make it look like an accident. It's, it's something like, again, as silly as the start of the show was, then we get a scene that's like out of Goodfellas or something. Like we get, we get or, or The Godfather or something. And, uh, and, and, we, and we see the, the rage really begin to bubble up uh, under, uh, you know, from, from this undercurrent throughout the whole episode, really in this scene as, as Batman sees how callously both Moxon and Chill sort of just decided that Thomas Wayne would die and how, and he asks the Spectre, where was justice then? And, uh, and that sort of leads the Spectre to send him back to the Batcave as, as Batman sort of begins to put the final pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, so once this happens uh, and we are flashed back to the cave, uh, Batman uh, decide or is able to track Chill down at a, a who is apparently now in charge of supplying Gotham's rogues with various weapons, uh, and he's uh, gathered a, a large group of them, including Two Face and Joker and Poison Ivy, Penguin, Mister Freeze, the Mad Hatter, 
uh, several that we'll talk about in the actual and uh, Solomon Grundy too, who, who could mm-hmm. forget, uh, are all in this warehouse uh, watching this weapons demonstration and uh, Batman breaks in and uh, after dealing with some of the, uh, the rogues and sort of distracting them, recognizes Chill and chases him to a sequestered part of this, of this, uh, this warehouse that they're in. And uh, it's at that point that maybe the most shocking moment of the episode occurs. And it's really this moment where, where Batman has to decide if he's going to take the life of the man that took his parents' life. Uh, or if he's going to just allow justice to handle him. And uh, he does so in a way that I, I was completely caught off guard and unexpected. And that is he reveals himself to Joe Chill directly that he is Bruce Wayne by unmasking himself and letting him know just what the impact was that, uh, that Joe Chill so many years before taking the lives of both of the Waynes uh, what ultimately it led to. Joe Chill. You are the slinking coward who murdered Thomas and Martha Wayne. That was a lifetime ago. Yes, my lifetime. You took them without mercy or regret and in cold blood, Chill. How do you know this? How could you possibly? I know because I watched it happen. I know because I am the son of the man you murdered. I am Bruce Wayne. No. Oh, no. And uh, it's such a beautiful little sequence because Joe Chill has this realization and then disbelief and this utter terror in that moment and realizing that he is solely responsible for the creation of the of the menace to Gotham's underbelly at that point that his one choice uh, and it's interesting because they talk about earlier you know as as the mob boss is giving this deathbed confession uh, he mentions that he didn't he didn't put a hit out on both of the Wayne parents it was only on Thomas Wayne uh, and that it was Joe Chill's choice to take the life of Martha uh, so the fact that he killed both of them has led to this point where Bruce makes re- makes the reveal uh, of his true identity and has has to make this choice as to whether or not uh, he's going to ultimately take the life of Joe Chill right there. Yeah, it, it is, and it, it's this this culmination of the entire episode as we've talked about. Um, it's it's this this dramatic moment, and it. It, it really gets to the heart of, I think, maybe a, a larger debate. Uh, you know, we've sort of, sort of touched on it in certain episodes of uh, our regular Batman the Animated Series you've used before of, I think, I think in light of the, the very hard edge, uh, more akin to a Frank Miller style Batman that we have seen on the big screen in the last few years. There's a lot of talk of, of Batman killing and whether or not that, how essential that element of his character is when you're adapting him to other mediums. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. We've talked about that before, but I think for especially this version of Batman to be confronted with that choice where he's, where he, he just unleashes on a where he has so much contempt and rage. And it's, it's all the rage of this eight year old boy in the alley that we see at the start of the episode 
it's the anguish and the fear and the frustration and the, and all of it bubbles over in this moment where not only does he does he beat on them and and you know punch him and and, and throw him against the wall and and really really take you know give him a beating but he he's so angry that he he does he pulls his mask right off this is uh interestingly enough this is the first episode of the series where batman had unmasked uh, to this point so like this is a, this is a big deal for within the context of the series but of course within the context of the larger story uh, you know, even just as a standalone Batman story that he he had to he had to tell chill that like you you making that callous decision, you ruining my life has now led me to this point where I'm prepared to ruin yours. And it's so it's so dramatic and Shakespearean in that way. And and it leads to this moment where, as, as we said, it, it's the almost literally the devil and the angel on the shoulders as as he's begin to, to beat on Joe Chill some more and the phantom stranger appears next to him and tells him, uh, you know, that he's beaten and that it's time to let, uh, it's time to let the, the devotion to justice take over. And, and the specter points out again. And I think, I think part of the thing that makes this episode interesting and, and such a conundrum, it's not just, is Batman going to kill or not? It's that, it wouldn't necessarily not be justified, right? It's, 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 this man was, is a murderer. This man has gone on to, you know, continually affect not only Batman, but the the citizens of Gotham in a negative way by being this, you know, this weapon supplier to the, to the big rogues of the city over the years. So it's like, this is a very bad person who has done a litany of bad things and there is a, a, a point of view represented in the specter that true justice would be to take this guy out of the equation completely and not let him hurt you or anyone else ever again. And I think, it, and because of the way the episode is structured, you feel like, well, he's not totally wrong. Like he's not, there is, there is an element of truth in that. And so when he makes it a point, and, and the specter even sort of trying to push Batman further points out that you you took your mask off like you're you if you let this guy live now batman dies and that's sort of where we get to the heart of of this episode and sort of this great wonderful twist which is that he says batman may die but bruce wayne won't he is beaten let your devotion to justice temper your rage he took your parents Ruined your life. Fulfill your destiny. Become what you have trained to be. An agent of vengeance. He knows who you are. If this man lives, Batman dies. Batman may die, but Bruce Wayne... never yeah and 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 he lets chill go chill runs outside and and again in in pages that are pretty much taken straight from uh the original uh bob kane and bill finger story um uh he runs out to, to tell tell the other criminals that 
uh, you know, years ago, I, I killed some people. And, and now that that guy's son is back. That guy's son is Batman. And the villains are sort of then and then sort of realize that, oh, so that means this is all your fault. And they <laughs> begin to attack him. And that sort of leads to this another tremendous and dramatic moment where Batman chooses to not let them kill him. It's, it's also, I think, a really important distinction uh, not just in the, the the Zack Snyder movies, but even if you go back to the Christian Bale Batman movies, where it's, it's he doesn't do the I'm going to look the other way here and let let this guy die. He makes the choice. Not only does he not not only does Joe Chill not die by his hand, but he refuses to let him die by these villains' hand either. And I think that again, is such a great piece of what I feel is the core of who Batman is, it's especially this Batman. Uh, you know, that, that devotion to justice, as the Phantom Stranger said, is really on full display in that moment. But uh, as, as uh, fate would have it, so to speak, uh, despite uh, Batman choosing to defend Joe Chill from the villains and uh, the building begins to come crashing down thanks to some explosions and uh, Mr. Freeze's freeze ray going off as well as this, this giant weapon that uh, Chill was trying to sell. Batman and the Joker sort of struggling over it and the foundation of the building collapses and the villains escape, but uh, Joe Chill does not. And uh, we actually see what has to be a very small handful of on-screen deaths that have ever occurred on a DC children's cartoon. Yeah, this episode featured a lot of deaths because we also, we get the sequence of, of the Wayne murders also taking, mm -hmm. taking, I was, for a show that generally I would assume was rated TVY7 for uh, for Batman Brave and the Bold because there's no way this was a TV14 show or TV, no. TVG, I don't know. But for the TV rating system here in America, TVY7, you know, seven and under gener generally, or se I guess seven and up generally is, is the target audience. It's a children's audience that it's geared towards. There are three very obvious deaths in this and yes it's batman's parents everybody knows the story but it's gun violence shown on screen essentially you see the gun going off you see the parents you know hitting the ground and and hear their screams it's 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 very shocking and then this way of, of joe chill you don't get the the stay alive groan you don't get the you know, him just kind of closing his eyes or the, maybe the debris falling on him and you're not seeing. There's a very, very obvious, clear moment where he gives his last breath as he is sort of, you know, under this collapsed roof. And uh, it's, again, it's sort of, it's sort of ironic that this is the way that this, this character ends up dying. There is some, some dialogue that happens afterwards between Phantom Stranger and the specter as phantom stranger is sort of gloating over his victory, but happens to mention that, uh, that Joe chill, uh, it was very, very odd that he just happened to be under that uh, collapsed building at that period, that, that, uh, space and time and uh and the specter very very clearly is uh claiming ignorance there as he smiles sort of slyly saying he has no idea how that could have happened so uh in at the end in the end the specter was able to to serve justice uh through his own means not using batman as a pawn but uh, that's sort of kind of how we end things there is batman uh in the bat cave actually has 
uh, the costume that his father was wearing uh, at the uh, at the the costume ball that they got to interact and he puts it literally in a case and says this case is now closed and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty fun pun to end the, uh, end the episode, but, uh, lots of great things here, Liam, as we, we begin to kind of give our scores here, as far as the plot is concerned. Again, I think looking at the, 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 the deviation from the normal tone and plots and sort of Saturday morning kids cartoon fun that Batman Brave in the Pole tends to be, um, you know, this did not feel all that alien from a DCAU Batman cartoon. Maybe a joke here or two seemed a little out of place, but tonally, uh, in a, mi- a few minutes, we'll talk about music uh, and, and, and the voice actors, but all of that combined made this with a great story that w- driven by, you know, this this tension of whether or not Batman's going to give in to uh, this rage and this righteous anger that he holds against this, the killer of his parents, something that we didn't really ever get to see or explore in the DCAU when it came to, you know, to Batman's uh, origins or figuring out who killed his parents. That was sort of left a mystery and left alone. So the fact that this was handled with such seriousness and such, uh, intentionality as far as making this a story to remember and uh, bravo by for the writers you know putting together this this episode uh, Paul Dini shocking that guy that guy might have a future <laughs> in writing some Batman stories what do you think maybe but, uh, I think <laughs> I think that it's not it's not a it's not a shock that a story written by Paul Dini is able to toe that line between a little bit of humor but then ultimately coming up with a very, such a serious, uh, serious plot and certainly pulling from source material that hadn't had this story written originally, but man, to see it on the screen and an animation and adapting it to a 22 minute cartoon. So, so good. I felt I had no choice, but to give this a perfect 10 out of 10. As far as the plot is concerned. What about you? Very nice. Yeah, I, I, uh, I had uh, I had the exact same score, of course, a perfect 10 out of 10. And the way that, yeah, like I said, the, you know, these essential elements are in that original Bob Kane and Bill Finger story, but they to, to put it into the context of this show by having these other DC characters, uh, you know, as as is the premise of every episode, it's Batman teaming up with a different DC hero. And to have two two DC heroes, two you know much lesser explored heroes when it comes to animation as well at the Phantom Stranger Inspector, um, having them show up in this issue as uh, you know in this episode and and have them sort of be the narrators for a lot of a lot of this and it really gets back to kind of what I was saying at the start, which is that it's it is one of those great things about Batman. And I think a lot of, a lot of comic book characters, but especially Batman where you can go straight from him fighting sorrow, the conqueror or gorilla Grodd or abracadabra in this very episode's case, right into a story of a vengeful Batman, you know, you know, working a case as a detective and and dealing with his sort of his own uh, urges to want to seek out vengeance instead of justice and having so so putting all of those elements and still wrapping it up in this 
you know, this, this Batman Brave and the Bold format, bringing all of those elements together. And, uh, you know, as we'll talk about again, uh, we've been, we've left out some of the specifics, but this is a, this is, this episode is really an homage to several eras and versions of Batman. And to have that represented even within this episode, I think is, is so great from a story standpoint. So yeah, uh, no choice, uh, I think, but to give this one a, a perfect score. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move on to visual and animation for this week. So we talked about it, lots of striking imagery here, as we said, some death occurring on screen. Uh, this is a fun uh, style. We've talked about that a lot, just the way that this is animated and the way that the, the characters look certainly familiar at times, even at the beginning here, looking at Zatanna at the beginning, very much similar to uh, a look that we are familiar with in the DCAU uh, in her classic sort of fishnets and, and blue and white and the, the general look that we are, we've come to expect from seeing her on screen. Uh, so not, not alien at all. And, and then some, uh, some general Silver Age looks as we have quite the different array of, of Batman rogues featured here. Uh, from the Joker and Mad Hatter and Two-Face and, and uh, the rest is we'll, we'll talk about those guys. But I, I think first and foremost, the thing that stood out to me was the, the sequence that you already mentioned, which was the, the literal paid, uh, the, the animated, animated panels lifted from, I, I think, Detective Comics 27, uh, which is the showing of, of Batman's training regimen and how he's sort of, you know, lifting the weights, the sign, the, the bit where he's sort of being a chemist and he's got goggles on, he's got uh, a lab coat on, and then ultimately him putting on the Batman costume for the very first time. And it has the longer ears and certainly the original Bill Finger, uh, Bob Kane design, uh, heavy on the Bill Finger, obviously, but uh, that's not, that's not all. I, th I think, uh, I think there's a lot of, a lot of visuals here also thomas wayne's batman costume certainly uh with an homage not only to that original that uh comic appearance as you mentioned but uh certainly looked a little bit like the the actual original bob kane drawing uh of what batman was to look like before bill finger made him the uh the the, the hero that we <laughs> know and love uh so some interesting uh some interesting combination there between the bill finger original design and then that that sort of weird half mask, no cow over the head, the hair sticking out, all of that stuff uh, design. But uh, so, so much to enjoy here for, from this. I'm sure you have a lot, uh, a lot that stood out for you as well. Yeah, one of the, the first things that I thought of is, is the Spectre. Um, the design itself is pretty much, you know, ripped right from the comics and, and just sort of adapted into this, this Brave and the Bold style. But uh, the, the visualization of sort of how he moves around that, you know, the name sort of gives it away. They, they treat him much more like a ghost. And you sort of, at, when he sort of first appears, you just see this sort of swirling of green light. And then you see like a green skull sort of form. And then slowly the cloak sort of envelops him. And, and then his face is sort of revealed. And I thought giving him that sort of, you know, the, the, the ghosts of, of Christmas future or whatever look throughout this, uh, throughout this episode to really give the idea that he's really further removed from humanity, despite him and Phantom Stranger sort of seeming to have a similar uh, power set. Uh, he's clearly further removed from the, the humanity of things than the Phantom Stranger is. And 
and I love seeing the sort of the ghostly imagery of, of that character. And yeah, and, there's, yeah. there's a couple of parts too, where he phases out and I didn't catch it at first that they did the skeleton trick when he phased in uh, maybe with his initial appearance, I didn't, didn't quite catch that, but there was, as he phases out in one of the initial uh, appearances, it's a very quick second as he phases out back to the skeleton. I was like, I just saw a skeleton there. Am I crazy? Like it's so <laughs> quick. I was like, it must've been a single frame of animation that they used that it was that skeleton. And then it's a little bit more prominent, as you said, later on when he comes facing in sort of behind Batman, it's a little bit more prominent, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a neat trick. And like I said, I would, I left watching after watching this a wanting to see a specter animated series or an animated movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a fascinating character from that, the, that bygone age and obviously there have been different uh different people that have taken over the mantle of the specter over the years of course maybe most famously uh for for modern day comic fans was when hal jordan took his turn as the specter mm -hmm. but uh it's such an interesting character in and of itself that you know someone is bound to be this angel of of vengeance uh you know this spirit they can't move beyond our, our mortal plane until they serve their time as this this agent of vengeance for for a deity and it's it's just a fascinating uh look and especially this this uh this visualization of this this classic like silver age original version it was such a such almost like a horror-esque type visual for what that character looked like you can look at some of the old covers and comics that the specter was featured in a very pulpy sort of 1940s 50s look and i feel like that they properly sort of communicated that and, and it translated that into the the animation here as you mentioned it's it's very true to that original style right down to the the way that the eyes look and how the the uh the hood sort of gives him this shadow where his eyes just sort of uh, shine through it's uh it's a great look it's a great character and hey uh, dc if you're listening i know there's about 55 other projects that i'd probably like to see for <laughs> this but hey you know throw us some specter cartoons uh, every uh, if, if you uh if you got some extra time maybe on a on a streaming service yeah i, lo I love that yeah it's, there's so much fun stuff in there and then and then one of the things that really struck me is um the color palette uh of this episode is intentionally, I think, uh, very reminiscent of, of uh, more of a Batman the Animated Series. Batman is in shadow a lot more in this episode. See a lot more of the darker blue coloring on his on his cape and cowl, and and you get some 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 more of that imagery that would be more familiar in the in the animated series where you know you just see the eyes of the of the cowl and and you don't see his mouth or anything and you see a lot of that. And then the scene where, where Batman confronts chill, it's so like visually dark, like there's, it's very like heavy shadow and they, uh, and it's, it's almost, you know, in some ways you really don't have to pay attention to really see the, uh, the, the strong emotions sort of on display in that scene. And, and as you, uh, as you get to that moment, as we mentioned is, you know, chill tries to run out of the room and the battering sticks in the door. And then, Batman sort of begins to unleash on him and that that very dramatic reveal as he pulls the mask back and 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 tell and reveals his identity to chill and and the, the look of fear in chill's eyes as uh as as he reveals that to him which sort of in some ways mirrors the fear in uh, in Bruce's eyes uh, when we see the the Wayne's death at the start of the episode 
And, uh, you know, and if that all of that great dramatic stuff wasn't wasn't enough for you, you also get to see Batman sort of face down with just about every one of his, uh, you know, classic rogues. And as you mentioned, Joker and Two-Face and Mr. Freeze and Grundy and Poison Ivy. It's it's so many, so many fun characters and they're all mostly done in their sort of classic, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s uh, style um, which uh, which is is pretty fun. So you get you get some pretty good traditional Batman action thrown in, despite this being this dark and serious story. I think uh, Batman swinging through the glass also as as uh, Joe Chill has run away and, and kind of sequestered himself into this uh, you know this part of the the warehouse. Batman doesn't go through the door. He literally swings through the glass uh, before he grabs yeah. your five lapels. Um, just, just really, really, really fun stuff. Um, and I think even, even sometimes, you know, in the modern, modern uh, animation, you know, we, we talked a lot about, especially in Batman the animated series, the backgrounds, the painted backgrounds and how those looked as far. And now, you know, modern cartoons, especially this series and, and anything, they're not painting backgrounds. It's all digital animated. Typically it's, it's going to be a part or look very similar uh, to the animation that you see uh, in that's moving as opposed, as opposed to sort of those painted backgrounds that were very, very much so in the background. But I, I thought that the, the choice for what the background that they did for when the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre are interacting, it's sort of this, it's, they're obviously talking on a different uh, plane of sorts, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a celestial plane of some kind. And it's this purple background that sort of waves behind them and sort of morphs a little bit. And you can't really tell it's not space. You know, if it had been pitch black, you would think it was space, but uh, it sort of swirls and moves just kind of gives you the idea that it's in an alternate dimension, which obviously is where this is taking place. This conversation is happening between these two. Uh, but I, I thought that that stood out because it's the same. It starts out that way at the beginning and then at the very end when we have this final interaction between uh the specter and the phantom stranger and uh he's sort of needling him about uh causing the death of joe chill uh there's you know that it sort of adds to that idea that this is taking place uh, outside of of the current time and space of the the normal batman the brave and the bold universe so just little details like that uh you know along with with all the other things that we mentioned i think were the real standouts and uh you know this is this is a show once you get into it and once you really it, it feels so familiar we've talked about that before guys have square jaws big barrel chests uh you know the the colors aren't that bright and out of place where you feel like you know it doesn't belong so there is a familiarity almost to this uh you know that that lends itself to a maybe a, a slightly more cartoony dcau style so um for all those reasons i love the way that this cartoon looks i think i've liked every single episode's visuals that we've done so far um those homages to those original batman panels were the ones that really did it for me but i felt like i had no choice but to give this a perfect 10 out of 10 what about you yeah i uh i gave it the exact same score yet again of uh of 10 out of 10 i think uh really master uh really a masterpiece and again everything from uh i mean you talked about the just the simple stuff in in that scene uh, you know, in the first moment, there's uh, we see these scales, the scales of justice literally represented as we see Batman and a lot of the other heroes in, in the in the side of justice and, and a lot of the villains 
that that we've seen him fight over the series uh, in in the other uh, tray there representing vengeance and we see those uh, the scales sort of begin to tip one way or the other as as uh, Spectre and, and Phantom Stranger talk throughout the episode and then finally when when Batman chooses not to uh, not to deliver that final blow and and the, the the scales finally tip further towards justice as as the uh, the wager between these two characters is is finally resolved and just that final bit there is uh as uh as as the as the phantom stranger remarks how strange it is that this building would collapse and that chill just happened to be standing under it and we and uh, the the specter sort of uh, claims ignorance, as it were, and we sort of get this slow zoom in and on on his eye, and as as it zooms into the eye fully, we see that we see that green skull once again. And Batman made the right choice. Ultimately, it was karma that delivered the final blow to Joe Chill. Funny how Chill just happened to be under that crumbling ceiling when it came down. I wouldn't know anything about that. And then, uh, yeah, even the, the very final shot of, of, you know, Batman putting the, 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 the old Thomas Wayne bat suit on display and closing the case. And you see his reflection in the, in the, in the case glass is, is really tremendous. It's a really sort of sweet, quiet moment to go out to after this really dramatic and bombastic adventure he's been on. So yeah, it's uh, overall. I think this is a, this is another pretty easy uh, ten. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Liam. Let's move on to our music for this week's episode. Which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the dynamic music partners, I believe, were created, or the, the three of them. Yeah, I guess this is prior to their mm-hmm. their catchy nickname. Uh, but the dynamic yeah. music partners uh, are responsible for this week's uh, music. Uh, what did you have as far as notes were concerned? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I didn't have a ton of specific, like, again, we talk about like a theme you can hum throughout the episode, uh, other than perhaps the opening, uh, the opening title sequence, which we've talked about before. But uh, what struck out, what stood out to me is that what I've noticed with a lot of the Brave and the Bold episodes is that the music, it's a lot of horns. Mm-hmm. and uh there's a lot of a lot of that and that kind of goes on the back burner in this episode and in the For previous sure. episodes there's a lot of trumpet a lot of trombone uh you know and uh, you know kind of like congas and other sort of really fast-paced per- like hand percussion um and we don't necessarily have a lot of that it's it's scored i think a lot more traditionally like a batman the animated series and that there's a heavy reliance on on strings certainly in that opening sequence it's very tense and i think the music adds a lot to that as 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 the Waynes were walking down the alley and we kind of all know what's going to happen, but we're waiting for the shoe to drop. And, and, you know, as it comes to that crescendo as the gun is fired and, and then, uh, you know, later on there's, there is, I, I noticed I, what I think was a, a flute or some other sort of light uh, sort of whistle uh, horn uh, instrument played. I think when, when Bruce is, uh, is, is meeting his parents and specifically when he embraces his mom, it's, it's very light and, and simple, but yeah, I think, I think what I noticed more than anything with the music is that whatever was going on, whether it was those lighter moments or when, uh, when it was, when it comes to some of the more dramatic moments of the episode, it, it felt like the music, while it wasn't overbearing, it was sort of always trying to add to that, that tension or, or the, the emotion of the scene. Yeah, that's, I think that, that 
absolutely was the, the point of this. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that was the first thing that I noticed, not only in the scene where Bruce is disguised as the priest, um, there's, it's just background music. And again, tonally, this episode takes a completely different turn than what we're used to. We've already established that. There's a lot of fun and quipping and, you know, usually some zaniness happening and, you know, characters being over the top evil. And, you know, there's, there's music that accompanies their, their, you know, absurd capers that they're, they're doing that Batman has to, has to foil. So it typically makes sense that there's these faster, lighter, you know, more fun sounding uh, soundtrack that accompanies it. So for this one to be so serious, you can't have those, you, you know, that would, that would completely undermine the entire episode. If you have conga drums playing behind, you know, Batman watching his parents murdered in front of him, like that's, that's, that's completely absurd. So yeah, they had to adapt this, I think, in a lot of ways in order to match the tone for what the entire episode was. And, you know, you can't take that for granted because not only that not not uh, it, it's not always the case that you have people that are talented enough to to match what's happening or story wise or be able to come up with pieces that match and 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 sort of go along with uh what's what's happening on screen especially to change up in a series where you're used to having so much fun and and a light airiness about what the music that you're composing so uh, to switch that completely you you kind of have to have people that are kind of good at what they do and obviously the dynamic music <laughs> partners are the best of the best that's why they're still making music for so many DC uh, projects today and continue to be called upon to do various things. And I wouldn't be so surprised if we uh, see them do work perhaps on an upcoming uh, Bruce Tim animated series, perhaps. Um, I think mm -hmm. that would be, would be a shock to me if they weren't at least used uh, in part for some of that, uh, for some of that series. But uh, yeah, for them to, to switch things up here and for them to be able to, to make the scenes it, again, there wasn't an impactful, Batman, you know, it, it's hard because the Batman Brave and the Bold theme song is that light poppy sort of homage to the to the 60s Batman with jazz horns and, you know, as you mentioned, the, the percussion. So it, the action sequences that take place between Batman and the villains do have to be a little bit, I think they, it changes up a little bit when the Joker comes in and drops the, the gas bomb drops and there's sort of this chaos that ensues uh, in that, that warehouse scene, but it's only slight. It doesn't completely change because if they had, it would have felt completely out of left field. So I think the, the best thing that you can say about the music, again, I don't think there was something that you can point to and say, that's a memorable piece that I'm going to remember and hum, you know, after hearing this episode, but it truly set the tone throughout uh, from these conversations that are being had by these uh, otherworldly spirits uh, to, you know, this, this realization that Bruce is going to confront and ultimately reveal his identity to this Joe chill character to uh, you know, the very poignant ending of him ending things on a pun by saying that, you know, he's, this case is now closed um, you know, it's, it's all done really well from start to finish. I think I couldn't give it a perfect score just because again, there, I didn't think there was anything that particularly stood out, but I think looking at all of those things, it makes a lot of sense to give it a strong score, which is why I ended up giving a strong eight out of 10. What about you? 
yeah, I went just a tick higher. I went nine out of 10. Um, I think it's really good. Um, and like I said, I think it adds to a lot of the scenes that, it, uh, that, it, that, uh, that need it, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily have that overpowering, super memorable moment for me where it's like, yep, I'm going to remember that specific moment in the music, uh, you know, forever. So great job, obviously an eight and a nine are hardly uh, anything to sneeze at in our scoring system here, but, uh, yeah, just a really, really good job all around and, and allowing uh, you know, what we've already talked about, the story, the, the visuals, and as we'll be talking about in a moment, the voice acting, you know, the music sort of takes a back seat, but that you know, doesn't make it any less integral to the story. Absolutely. All right, Liam, let's move to our final category. We are well on our way here to a potential top pick. We'll have to see how this pans out here as we get to our final category of voice acting. As uh, I sort of alluded to from the start here, boy, howdy, do we have quite a few voices that uh, you're bound to recognize, even if you don't know their names, uh, from the time that they begin delivering dialogue, you're probably going to recognize them, uh, including one of probably the coolest things to happen, having multiple Batmen uh, be, uh, be voices on this week's episode. Uh, let's get into this week's voice actors, shall we? Yeah, this is a, this is an incredible cast. Um, I'll talk about a little bit, uh, just, just in, even in some of the, the bit roles of the episode, we do briefly have uh, Jeff Glenn Bennett as playing both uh, Abracadabra and, of course, uh, the Joker. He's one of the only uh, the villains who speaks in the episode uh, as far as the, uh, the main Batman rogues gallery. But we have him here. We have uh, Jennifer Hale uh, playing Zatanna, who, of course, played Zatanna on JLU as, as well as Killer Frost and Giganta. And she also uh, voices Poison Ivy in this episode. Uh, speaking of the DCAU, uh, Richard Maul uh, playing not only Lou Moxon, but he does get one line as Two-Face in the episode, of course, having played that character slash Harvey Dent in the Batman the Animated Series. It was really cool to see them not only bring him back, uh, but also to have him get, a, get at least one line. They, they were able to sort of organically work two-face into the story so that he could reprise that role uh, however brief it is is a, is a pretty cool moment um yeah yeah we have a sorry <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it was uh it was a pleasant surprise especially because his delivery on this deathbed as this dying mobster is it's just two-face like it is straight up <laughs> just two-face's voice and it's really one of the first voices that you hear in the episode outside of our, you know, our otherworldly spirits and not counting the initial uh, opening sequence with uh, Batman, Zatanna and Abracadabra. But it's such a pleasant, it was such a pleasant surprise because that's such a huge, important voice uh, for, of course, not only Batman, the animated series, but the new Batman adventures. And uh, it's it was such a cool little just like you could have gotten anybody honestly to do that voice and the fact that uh andrea romano just said hey let's uh let's get richard mall in here and we're gonna have him do the two-face voice uh for this dying mobster on his deathbed which is funny because uh, later on there's a the, in the flashback scene uh he doesn't sound like 
two-face when he's you know he just kind of sounds like what i imagine mr mall would would sound like speaking regularly you know he has a has a deep defined voice but it's uh more akin to the harvey dent voice i guess than it is uh the two-face voice so uh it's great that we got to not only get both both of those in this episode but also of course as you mentioned uh him getting to reprise the role albeit briefly uh of of one two-face himself that's right. And uh, as uh, elsewhere in the voice cast, we have uh, Peter Onorati playing Joe Chill, uh, who, interestingly enough, actually did have a, a small part in Goodfellas uh, years ago. So funny that he, uh, he managed to find this role as a, a sort of aging mobster here. But uh, folks might also know him from shows like 24, uh, SWAT, and, uh, and a few other of those procedural uh, shows over the years. But uh, he does a good job. I think. I think he his time to shine is certainly. He doesn't, uh, you know, playing off of uh, Richard Mall's Moxon in that in that scene in the prison is is pretty pretty solid. But then the 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 scene to shine is is at the end there as he's not first being this sort of swanky businessman introducing this uh, this new weapon that's gonna tear Gotham apart and uh, and then as just this this sort of blubbering mess of fear as he, as he realizes that he, uh, he in fact has created Batman and now Batman is here to, uh, to right those wrongs. He truly gets to kind of act and, and really show his, uh, his, his abilities during, during that scene with uh, being confronted by Batman directly. And I, I think he does a great job. Absolutely. And this is uh, where we really, really get to the fun stuff here, which is uh Voicing one Martha Wayne, we have Julie Newmar, uh, of course, the uh, live action, the original live action Catwoman from the 1960s Batman series. Um, her, and again, she only has a few lines here, um, but it was, it, again, it's just one of those things where because of what this story is, um, it was really great that uh, that she that she got to be here, and not only that, but of course to be alongside playing Thomas Wayne, none other than our first Batman that we'll be talking about, and that is of course the legend that is uh, the late uh, Adam West, and what a, what just just what a stroke of brilliance and what a fun uh, you know audio Easter egg for 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 long term fans of this character to have. Batman and Catwoman playing Thomas and Martha Wayne here. Can I be Zora when I grow up? Absolutely, son. We'll need to get you a bigger sword. Take that, you wicked tyrant! Dear. <laughs> oh, Martha, let him play. Thomas Wayne, when he has nightmares tonight, you can be the one to calm him down. Okay, that's <laughs> enough for now, Bruce. We'll start you on fencing lessons when you're older. Say... 30. Julie Newmar, I think it's safe to say hashtag my catwoman. Is that is that, is that a thing? <laughs> uh, just absolutely defined that role. Uh, you know, cat, say what you want about uh, Catwoman on, on Batman the Animated Series. And certainly it's a completely different character. But uh, Julie Newmar might have been my first crush growing up. I don't know. She's she was just a beautiful woman and like out. Yeah. Yeah, she's a, a beautiful woman. See, from all like you know, from all appearances, just a very 
good, kind person. Also, she has a social media account that either she or someone, I imagine someone runs for her still, and she's still, still seems to be pretty active. I mean, uh, you know, I think she's 88 years old. So, you know, she's still getting around, which is good for her. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Adam West is going to get the shine. But, you know, we would be remiss not to mention that uh, Ms. Newmar, albeit in a very small role. Yeah, quite quite the the treat for the for the audio easter egg there to have somebody who uh paired obviously with adam west for good reason uh it made such a a, a large impact on on our childhoods and you know is is somewhat defining although i guess you could argue that eartha kit is is the more memorable version of that catwoman era maybe one in one a uh but uh she's she was a fantastic catwoman from that 60s batman so much love in my heart for for one julie newmar but uh yeah of course we'd be remiss not to not to mention uh, the late great adam west himself uh playing uh, thomas wayne as you mentioned uh just so cool uh you know it, it they didn't have to get thomas wayne to do it but the fact i mean to, to get adam west to do thomas wayne's voice but the fact that you know the people that were watching this show would know who this is, whether it was, you know, a seven-year-old probably not going to know who Adam West is, but the fact that the parents that are watching this with their kids uh, or, or even, you know, even the, the grandparents that are watching this with their kids, mm -hmm. knowing that that's Adam West's voice and him still being involved with Batman projects because of, of, of you know his impact as that batman character for this sort of bat style of batman for the silver age 60s 50s wacky you know era of batman uh, he is batman still to a large portion of the you know the generation out there so the fact that he was willing to come on and do this and uh you know he has he has some great interactions uh, with the rest of the cast and again we we have multiple batmans featured here on this uh on this on this episode but his interactions with dietrich bader's batman is uh are, are just su super fun and it, you know you can't help but smile i think the entire time even knowing that he's no unfortunately no longer with us but the fact that his work remains uh well beyond uh his his actual living here on earth and it still brings a smile to people's faces i enjoyed it i didn't remember i think you would probably mentioned it in passing to me that he had done the voice uh but i didn't recall and then as soon as thomas wayne opened his mouth as they're walking down that alley i was like oh man they did it again great job great <laughs> great casting from andrea romano with that one Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where not only it would also just be enough to do just have those voices there and just have them say a few quiet lines and, and move on with it. But they have a, a pretty important part first is they're sort of, you know, talking as Bruce is excitedly, you know, recounting the Zorro movie that they've just all been to see. And, 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 uh, you know, Martha is, is talking about how, you know, we'll never get him to bed now. And, 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 uh, you know, Thomas is trying to get her to lighten up a little bit and they have like a nice jovial, you know, married couple conversation in that moment. And then as, uh, as we mentioned later on, when he, when Batman is sort of thrust back through time by the Phantom Stranger, and he has this interaction with them first with, with Thomas, who's just so warm and kind to him. And then as I said, just has this moment where he, he embraces his, his mother. And then she, you know, she mentions kind of a, kind of a comedic moment as she mentions, mentions how, how friendly he is. And, 
and just that. And of course, we would be remiss not to mention the the line as uh, as as Thomas is asked how his aim is, and he of course responds by telling him, "Impeccable, old chum." And they, uh, <laughs> they each pick up a, a a kitchen knife and throw it that uh, knocks down this big uh, display that was hanging from the ceiling in this museum and uh, takes out some of the bad guys. But uh, a really tremendous homage to that era of Batman uh, content, as you said, this show is so steeped in that Adam West show along with the, you know, that sort of Dick Sprang era of Batman content. So it was really cool to see those characters brought in. Uh, moving along here in our voice cast, our, our last two sort of big time guest starring characters playing the Spectre. We have none other than the legend himself, Mark Hamill. Um, what more have, could we possibly say after 175 episodes uh, about Mark Hamill's performance, but obviously not, not playing the Joker. Uh, he had, hey, he's sort of given uh, uh, the Spectre this very sort of sinister rasp to his voice, and he's sort of there's always kind of this drone. He sort of really draws out his words, and sort of every sentence kind of there's this little droning on again. Again, I think adding to that sort of ghostly presence that they've given the Spectre in this universe. Yeah, it's it was it's funny because I didn't recognize him right away. Again, it's not it's not his typical over the top, uh, loud, you know, boisterous Joker voice. You know, it wasn't his trickster voice. It's not a it's not his it's not even his Luke Skywalker voice. It's more akin to uh, Grundy's voice or something. You know, it's it's deeper. It's you know he he goes to a lower range, and as you mentioned, every single syllable is drawn out, and um, you know it's it's it was almost unrecognizable at the start, and then I I listened a little bit more intently as he's interacting with. Uh, this phantom stranger who also sounded a little bit familiar to me. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in a second, but uh, you know, as he's drawing out his words, it became a little bit more clear as he gave more dialogue that it was, that it was uh, Mark Hamill. I thought that it was especially poetic and poignant. And again, we're talking about uh, lines that were written specifically for the characters, but uh, it's great in that scene at the end where, where Bruce is standing there and, you know, the phantom stranger appears over his shoulder and is appealing to him. And then right after that, uh, the specter appears and they're both standing on either side of him. Uh, <laughs> the specter implores Batman to fulfill his destiny, which is a very similar line to things yes. that you've, you've heard Darth Vader say in Star Wars or uh, the Emperor in, in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are, you know, whether or not that was, it's hard to think that that wasn't a deliberately written line <laughs> for the guy that literally, you know, is the star of this whole movie franchise. But I did hear that, have to rewind it and make note of it because I was like, man, that is so poetic and poignant. And one of those things that if it wasn't done intentionally, okay, then I, I would have a hard time not believing it because, you know, it's, it's <laughs> so perfect. And it's said in such a way that, you know, it's almost a wink right at the camera, as he says it. He took your parents, ruined your life, fulfill your destiny, become what you have trained to be, an agent of vengeance. I thought that was great. And I think this performance and we again we talk about mark hamill every time we have to talk about him but this 
character voice again me not recognizing it right from the jump sets this this performance apart and again just shows how incredibly talented this man is to be able to go on this various range of different voices that he's able to to do from the joker you know to solomon grundy the trickster uh and and uh and ferris boyle and you know all the various other voices you know the mini voices that we've heard him do to differentiate that and be able to do that is there no is there no end to this man's talent i guess is my question because man <laughs> oh man so good yes uh, not not for the first or the last time here in episode 175 we will talk about the the greatness of mark hamill um but yeah I, it's funny because i uh, you know i mentioned i i thought of the raspy sort of sinisterness more as just being because of the character he was playing but when you point when you point that out, I, I had noted the familiar destiny line, but it didn't necessarily click with me that oh maybe he's maybe he is doing a bit of an homage to an you know Ian McDermott's uh, Palpatine character in that in that moment and and with his overall performance throughout the episode. So yeah, that's a great little uh, a little uh, Easter egg again, whether completely intentional or not. It's it's a great moment and a great performance. And of course, what would a great Mark Hamill performance be if it were not paired with a great performance by our second Batman? Uh, of course, the Batman, Kevin Conroy, uh, this time playing playing a different DC hero, that being the Phantom Stranger. And uh, it's very interesting because you, again, you can tell it's Kevin Conroy right away, but his voice is very even keeled. He, does, he really doesn't have much emotion even when he's sort of making these broader appeals to Batman's humanity and his devotion to justice at the end of the episode, it's sort of, it sort of seems that this character is a little more even keeled and doesn't, doesn't really betray. He's not particularly emotional one way or the other, despite him clearly having these convictions about the path Batman should go down. Yeah. I, 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 concur i i think the only performance that that i could draw a comparison to is sort of his portrayal of young bruce wayne maybe in uh, mask of the phantasm but specifically in the episode robin's reckoning where that scene where he has to come in and console dick in initially after uh, he's sort of taken him under his wing and there's this there's just sort of warmth about him that you didn't get uh, because of the character that he's playing, not because, you know, Kevin Conroy is clearly a very warm, loving individual, but, you know, from the performance that was asked of him at, to play that older, you know, more uh, veteran Batman, and, and certainly even into the, the Batman Beyond era where he's playing the grizzled older Bruce Wayne, but that warmer, younger version of Bruce that you kind of just get the general gist of, of Kevin Conroy's voice, no gruffness at added to it no uh no no sort of uh, edge to it it's just very smooth and uh that that gave this character the phantom stranger you know in that role of sort of being the light side or the lightness or the you know the good side if you're gonna if you're gonna compare it and contrast it to the specter's evil or darkness or, or you know vengeance um it get truly gives a great juxtaposition uh, between the two characters and sets that difference very well. Because again, Mark Hamill's very, not over the top, but very dark, deep, gruff, um, sort of droll as he's coming through with his dialogue mm -hmm. and 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 then Kevin Conroy's sort of lighter, uh, you know, almost weightless type of 
the dialogue, whether it's him interacting with the specter or him interacting with Batman, it's a very, you know, calm sort of, uh, almost parental type of loving conversation that he's having uh, with, with either, either character, any of the characters in, in this episode. So it's definitely a different performance than what we're used to uh, with the exception of maybe one or two, two brief scenes uh, in the Batman animated series, but uh, it's, it's outstanding. It differentiates this character from that while still clearly being Kevin Connor. Absolutely. And that brings us to the main event of our voice acting uh, sequence there as a, and our third Batman of the piece. Our, uh, our main Batman for this series is, of course, Diedrich Bader, uh, who we've talked about, as, as, you, as we mentioned here, Cal, we have talked about uh, this Batman, this version of Batman in several episodes to date. Um, but it's hard not to think that this is the the magnum opus of Diedrich Bader's Batman, at least in these more, in this most, most serious version. Um, I just wanted to read this. I actually went back and found a tweet that Mr. Bader had written last year, um, specifically about this episode. And he just said that, uh, you know, I love that episode so much and knew I'd cross the Rubicon with the character when I confronted the killer in his hospital room. And I started crying in the studio. Not that Batman would cry, it just meant so much that I was overwhelmed. And uh, I will just say that that absolutely comes out in his performance in this episode. From that first scene where he's at first undercover as this priest and is speaking very softly and sort of trying to coax the information out of this mob boss. And then as the scene progressive and you can see, you know, he's getting angry and angry, it really starts to press this guy for the name of the, of the Wayne's killer. And then, uh, you know, at, at that that moment, and then you, you flash forward to that scene where he's interacting with his parents at the party to when he, you know, is talking to the specter, asking him where was justice when when Moxon signed their lives away. And, and then all the way through to this final scene to when he utters the line that are straight from that Bob Kane and Bill Finger comic that I am the son of the man you murdered. Uh, and, and he pulls the mask off and, you know, shouts that I am Bruce Wayne. Like, it's so powerful. And I absolutely think it shows uh, in, in, in Mr. Bader's performance how important this is. We often talk about how, uh, you know, the, the hallmark of a great episode is when it feels like the character is in a different place at the end of it than, it, than they were at the start. And just the emotions that this character goes through in this episode alone it's so dramatic and it is a, a stark departure from the, the very over the top. And as you said, a lot of the puns and, and sillier stuff and some of the more fun stuff we see in this series, but it never once to me feels like it's out of place because again, this is just as much who Batman is like all of these parts equally make up Batman and one actor is able to do the fun, silly stuff with Zatanna at the start of the episode. And then also, confront his parents murderer and you know launched into this monologue about how he took them without without remorse or thought and it's it's it all works because of the performance and because of who this character is yeah it's it again we we've talked about in the prior episodes that we've reviewed is that he's he's sort of the only person that takes anything that's happening on screen serious 
And, uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. that's usually played for the butt of the jokes. You know, he's, he's just sort of unapologetically the most serious person uh, in the room and uh, blissfully unaware that everything around him is so completely, you know, goofy and off the wall. But then this does not feel like it's, you know, the, he's the butt of the joke. And, and some of that certainly is the writing and the tone, but the performance that he gives here, he usually, I think, gives, gives the performance with a sort of edge, um, which you can kind of showcase, is kind of showcased in that first two minute little short with Zatanna and, and Abracadabra, where he sort of, you know, he makes a quip and a one-liner and the way that this is written from start to finish, everything is taken very seriously from his his grilling of of this dying mobster that has the only uh, lead for who his parents killer is um, all the way up to the the end. You know, again, as he uh, even as he closes the, the this glass display case featuring his his father's costume it's it's done with such care and such sincerity um but not not played for as a joke as it typically is and um i i think that you know people love giving uh, and and obviously deservedly so giving um you know the the accolades to kevin conroy for being a great batman or you know people will point to michael keaton as being a great batman in Mm -hmm. live action or you know you have these these conversations uh, about who deserves the you know the the credit for for giving great batman performances unfortunately i think because this character tends to have that lighthearted side of it dietrich bader and for him being a, a generally a comedic uh, person, he plays, you know, he, he plays in a lot of comedies. He's Drew Carey's buddy, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> I think most recently he played like the dad on a, on a comedy sitcom, like, you know, so it, he's not, he's not generally a serious character. So for him to have to turn in a serious role like this and to be able to deliver, uh, yeah, definitely speaks to the talent level that he has, the care that he took for this character, and uh, you know, just just speaks to the voice directing, certainly from Andrea Romano, who we've lauded several times already uh, on this episode, but just great. It's great. His performance, also excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's just no doubt about it. He, he really, I think, this, this stands up there with, with uh, any great performance from a Keaton or uh, or a Conroy or a or a uh, you know an Affleck or Christian Bale or any this this performance and this version of Batman uh, you know it stands up there I think with all of those giants and 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 sort of carved out its own niche but yeah here in this episode he's also able to show that he is quite capable of playing that more uh, vengeful and and dramatic uh, Batman in, in these moments as well and. And again, it never feels like it's a different character. Even in the moment, there's there's a scene after Moxon passes away in the hospital room where some mobsters are sort of toasting to his uh, to his demise and mentioning that there's never been a greater force in Gotham. And Batman enters the scene by shouting, "Well, then you've never ten- you've never tangled with the forces of justice." <laughs> the Louis Moxon, a legend in his own time. There was never a greater force to be reckoned with. Then you've never reckoned with the force of justice. (laughs) 
the Wayne murders, years back. That was one of Moxon's contracts. Who did he hire? Yeah, real bats. Most of us were still in reform school when that happened. What I do know is that maybe Moxon ain't the only one checking out tonight. Before he, you know, <laughs> descends and, and, you know, beats the crap out of all these bad guys and then, you know, dangles this guy by his necktie over a fire. Like, it's this really dramatic, like, very Frank Miller, Batman, year one style moment but it's all kicked off with this very, you know, very much in character for this version of Batman, you know, dramatic entrance with the complete with the one liner, which I love. So, yeah, um, for all of these reasons, I think I, I really can't imagine a, a better voice cast being chosen for an episode like this. And uh, for all those reasons, I think I had absolutely no choice but to give this another 10 out of 10. Uh, yeah, I think uh, if anybody disagrees with us, uh, I get this. This is subjective. But if you disagree with uh, us, uh, I am prepared to fight you uh, with the full force of a Twitter uh, tweet, tweet <laughs> or two. Uh, because, yeah, you, you can't, can't watch this episode. I don't know how. Let me say that. You can. I don't know how you can watch this episode and not just appreciate uh, not only the entirety of everything, but certainly the the choices, the homages, the the Easter eggs, and and just the love and care that was that was poured into this from start to finish, and including the voice acting. So uh, yeah, ten out of ten for me as well. So uh, both of us, given given the voice acting, a extremely well deserved high score there. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring whoa. That is a noise we have not heard in quite a while. That, of course, is the bonus point sound. Uh, so uh, my guess is that you must have something that you are prepared to award a bonus point to here. That's right. And uh, that uh, that is sort of just the overall, we talked about this, we talked about this throughout the episode. This episode is such an homage, such a love letter to all eras of Batman um, not, you know, from the voice cast to the subject matter of the episode uh, to the, the visuals on display, you know, as, as you mentioned, when he's first suiting up, we see the original bat suit that he wears. It's just so it's, it's just it, you know, you, there's elements of the original, you know, 1930s and 40s Bill Finger stuff. There's elements, of course, of what this show is best known for, which is the Dick Spring era. Adam West and then you know flashing forward to Batman the animated series with again the darker color palette as well as of course the voice actors uh, that were utilized it's just it's such a beautiful love letter it's such a great encapsulation of all eras of Batman that I thought it was you know just one extra point for the the overall love letter to Batman the character yeah I agree 100 percent um i love that bonus point too that's great um all right liam well I, I guess it's time to total up our scores and uh totaling up my scores i come up with a very impressive and very strong 38 out of 40 what about you and i with the addition of the bonus points have arrived at a 40 out of 40 Wow, it is uh, it has been quite a while uh, for a perfect score to be handed out here for an episode, uh, and 
overall, not many, not many uh, have garnered that score to begin with. So it's not a regular occurrence and it's been, been quite some time. Uh, I think Liam, that uh, there's really no debate based on how much we loved this episode based on your perfect score, which pretty much says uh, that uh, this is uh, this is a must watch. Plus, I'm pretty sure you mentioned earlier here that this is an episode you've watched several times before. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this uh, the, this two thumbs up as far as rewatchability. Not only uh, is it uh, is it, it it's not so much pivotal, I guess, to the 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 series as it's as a as a whole uh, because it kind of does stand out on its own as its own episode uh and it's very tonally as we mentioned very different than the rest of the series but as far as if you're looking for the best of the best episodes for this particular batman the brave and the bold series uh i think you're not going to look very far uh, beyond this one to find the best at this point yeah absolutely um it it just it really stands alone in as far as the the subject matter and the and the general uh, feel of the episode in this series, but like again, I I think you put this up against the best episodes of the animated series, the best episodes or the best films of of any other sort of adaptation of Batman, and this belongs in the conversation for for the best of the best uh, of any Batman we've ever covered and and any Batman in any medium. So yeah, again, it's, uh, I really can't recommend this enough. And, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot darker than the usual uh, uh, Brave and the Bold fair that we've reviewed to date. And, uh, but uh, that's, I, I think that's why maybe this episode stands out even more is because the series chose not to go uh, dark with Batman and with its subject matter. Uh, particularly often throughout the series and they kept things so light so that when they did take that hard right turn it really stands alone as, as something truly special can't say it better than that all right liam well that will wrap us up for this week's episode thank you everybody for tuning into this 175th edition of the dcau review and thank you for those of you that have been with us since episode one and that will continue along with us and thank you for those that have joined in later on or maybe you're cherry you're a cherry picker and you just listen to every now and then uh we appreciate you thanks for uh thanks for giving us your time that helps a lot uh it means a lot that uh, anybody would listen to the two of us chat about cartoons uh <laughs> but uh, you know if we can give you a little break from uh perhaps real life uh talk about some uh, nostalgia here uh hey we've done our job so uh if you do if this has helped you in any way uh you got a couple of ways that you can help help us out in return. Uh, hey, we love you either way if you don't. Uh, but uh, if you do, if you do want to share the love, if you want to feel the love and send it right back to us, uh, a couple things you can do. First, you can, of course, always subscribe to us on our, your favorite podcast app. We are on all of the major ones. I had a little snafu last weekend with Apple, but we should be back up and uh, going forward. I uh, have no more issues with them, hopefully. So uh, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. That's step one. Step two, if you can leave a review, uh, maybe a little blurb telling people what it is that you like about our podcast. Maybe leave us a five-star review if you so think we deserve so. Uh, yeah, that would, that would help us out a lot too. Uh, you can also 
Uh, if you consume your podcasts on YouTube, which a great deal uh, of people do, you can find us on YouTube. You can search for The Pod Tower, uh, which we are a part of with our friends from Watchtower Database, as well as our friends from Tim Talk. Uh, lots of DCAU content and uh, other fun content, actually, from, from those folks as well. Uh, lots of stuff to catch there. So subscribe to that channel. That helps us out too. Uh, you don't, and guess what? None of these require you to spend any money at all. So we would, <laughs> we would greatly appreciate that. If you do have a couple dollars that you want to send our way, uh, you could always pick yourself up a shirt or uh, a piece of merch. Head over to dcaureview.com. Click on the shop tab. Uh, you can check things out there. Uh, we have lots of different uh, shirts and hats and all kinds of goodies. If you you want to support the pod that way. And finally, Liam, uh, people can follow us on social media. That also is a free way to support us at DCAU Review on both Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, you probably have seen us chatting about our Villains Elseworlds Month, which we will continue with next week's episode. Liam, you want to give the good folks a little preview of what we'll be discussing next week? That is right, Cal. And uh, as as we've been talking about this theme of uh, Elseworlds, different takes on classic DC villains we've talked about before. We have another example of that next week in a movie review we'll be doing. That is a look at an alternate version of a Suicide Squad featuring characters like Deadshot and Harley Quinn that we've uh, certainly met before, as well as some other ones that we've seen uh, less often, like uh, Captain Boomerang or a King Shark, uh, and as well as the Joker also, of course, making an appearance. Lots of characters uh, to be talking about, and that is, of course, when we review the movie next week, Batman Assault on Arkham. Here we go. Loosely tied into the Arkham video game series lore, I think, if I remember. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're a fan of those games, uh, this might be expanding some of that lore for you, if you will. Or maybe you just like some uh, direct-to-video DC content. Uh, looking forward to checking that one out and giving you our thoughts next week. But until then, I am Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.